Don't overcomplicate your intent, like with what you're trying to build, but you gotta do it in a way that everybody understands. No one cares if you're trying to build a $100 million hold co. The 18 year old kid that you just signed up for the new Facebook ads position in your HVAC company does not give a shit about your hold co. So how do you create an intent that facilitates that buy-in, facilitates that alignment, then how do you hold them accountable? There's an entire generation of Americans who no longer care about prestige, titles, work travel, fancy offices, and lunches. Welcome to Mundane Millionaires, a podcast for this generation of small business owners who want to set their ego aside and focus on what matters, family, community, quality of life, and cash flows. In each episode, Eric Pasifici and Kevin Henderson uncover what it takes to get a little money in the bank, control your time, and invest in building great families and lives. Let's get started. This may be the first podcast of 2024, so Happy New Year. It may not be. And if that's the case, that's okay also. Never hurts to wish somebody a Happy New Year. Kevin, great episode today. We've got on the show Christian Ruff. Christian is an incredible entrepreneur. He's also a has a really impressive background in special forces in the U.S. Army. He has been a traction implementer in his career. And now he's running an organization called Uncommon Elite. And I'll walk through uh, his background just a little bit more concretely in just a second, but I had a great interview with Christian. He also happens to be my personal coach. So I know him extremely well. He knows me extremely well for better or worse. And I think we had a great chat with him today. I learned a lot. What was your key takeaway here? Yeah, I I learned a ton. I think the themes I'm walking away with twofold, the importance of leadership and the importance Mm -hmm. of community, which are two things he's uniquely positioned to speak pretty authoritatively about a lot of great leadership experience from the military, transitioning into the business world, now now into coaching, and the importance that having kind of a tribe, a, a community to support, to kind of be sounding board, the shoulder to cry on, so to speak, wh- when it calls for it, the importance that that's played in his success, but also the success of people generally. I, I, those were my two takeaways. I think it's really, really valuable insights from Christian. Yeah. Fantastic. And every time I talk to him independently, you know, he asks incredibly good questions about our business. And I I walk away from every single call with him going, there are things we need to change within our organization. Yeah. Pretty low hanging fruit that, you know, somebody like him is able to spot. But so Christian's background, he was on the conventional side of the military in the U.S. Army flying Black Hawk helicopters for four years. He applied for and was accepted to the 160th Airborne, which is one of the most elite flying forces in the world. They move some of the most important fighting assets in the U.S. military in some of those high-profile raids. Incredibly rigorous job that requires a set of skills that very few people have. So he did that for six years, which is quite incredible. Uh, and then he transitioned out to the civilian life. I immediately went into kind of pseudo-consulting within a healthcare organization for urgent cares and help them build out their entrepreneurial operating system. Traction was what they used and had a lot of success there. Yep. He's since gone on and launched his own venture called Uncommon Elite, where he works as an executive coach and with teams of executives in a way that helps them get the best out of themselves personally, professionally, but also dovetails nicely into community, which is a hot topic in entrepreneurial land, SMB land, the need for community as an entrepreneur creates quality of life and it just helps you be better. So he's doing a lot of that. It's been fun to watch him, get to know him personally and watch him build these organizations. So it's great, great chat today. Yeah, absolutely. With that, I think we'll let the interview speak for itself and we'll get started with Christian Ruff. Enjoy. Fired up. All right. Welcome back, guys. Today, we're welcoming Christian Ruff to the virtual studio. Christian, mm. really great to have you on the Monday Millionaires podcast. Great to be here. Super great excited to, to chat with you, man. So, I mean, let's, let's jump right into it. You know, I think a lot of listeners may know you from Twitter, but a lot probably don't and probably don't know your background. So I don't want to steal your thunder, but maybe set set the scene for your background in the military. And let's start off there and, and jump into what that, how that kind of transitioned you into the business world. 
Okay. So my time in the military finished off. I, I was a helicopter pilot for the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment, and that's the military is arguably the world's most elite helicopter force. I spent my time there flying an aircraft called the Direct Action Penetrator, which you can assume that means many different things, but really what it was, we took all the weapons from an Apache helicopter, strapped them onto a Black Hawk, added more fuel, added a refueling probe, and we would go do operations everywhere in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to so. be clear, I don't know if you said it or maybe I just missed it, but for those who aren't familiar with the military may not know, this is a U.S. Army attachment, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a very small, very small unit that supports a couple of tier one assets. So it's pretty limited on the exact units that we work with, but it's anywhere, yeah. everywhere in the world. What is a tier one asset, Christian? That sounds important. Tier one asset? When you take a look at the special operations community, they're tiered as far as training, security, the amount of public information that's out there. If you were to go and buy the book Relentless Strike, it would lay everything out for you and tell you exactly the who's the who and what do they mean. But where I fell was there are three tier one units based in the United States. They're household names at this point but I flew helicopters for them. So to be clear, you, you and the 160th were part of the army, but you're effectively supporting across yeah, different branches exactly. of the military that are exactly. quote unquote tier one assets. Yeah. Yeah. And so we would take, we would actually take pilots from all branches of the military and recruit them to come to us. So it was owned by the army. So you, yeah. So I so had, you had members guys. of the 160th that were like Navy pilots, for example. Yep, I had yeah, Navy okay. pilots, Marine pilots, Air Force pilots. It was all about finding the individuals that possess the right attributes to do this type of work. And so we would pull from everywhere. Yeah. And you operate all around the world, but where's where's the 160th based? Are you, or like what base is, is home? Are, uh, you, Fort, or are you allowed to talk about No, that? it's Fort Campbell. Fort Campbell, which is just above gotcha. Nashville. So I spent my time living in a hipster downtown area of Nashville and commuting up to a small compound. <laughs> so. I, love, I love it. So I'm, I'm watching a video right now. Let me put it on the screen here for anybody who's watching this on is, YouTube. This uh, is this how is... engaged Eric is in interviews on this podcast. For no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's I'm, kidding, I'm, I'm kidding. kidding. This is, I mean, this is pretty intense. Um, so you guys are, you guys are flying all different types of aircrafts. Then you see, you said Blackhawk helicopters. I don't know the difference. Candidly, mm-hmm. uh, ask, Kevin will tell you I'm just a beta from Florida, so I don't know military stuff. Right, right. Uh, right. Are you flying all kinds of stuff, or what? Like, what's the principal? I flew one. You're so they have three principal aircraft. It is the Little Bird, it's the Black Hawk, which you just showed there, and it's the Chinook. The Little Bird comes in two configurations: either bringing guys to a target or an attack platform, so shooting things on target. Black Hawk, same thing. There's a couple dozen that bring guys to target, and there are fewer than 12 that are configured to be an attack aircraft. That was the one that I flew. And then there's the Chinook, which is the two huge rotor systems. That's bringing dudes to a target or providing resupply to guys like us when we run out of ammo in the middle of the desert. Okay, but you didn't start in the 160s. So you were in, in the Army for how long? 10 years total. So I was Ten in the regular... I was in the the conventional side of the military for four years before I'd made the switch over to the one sixty. Got it. So the Still plural, as a pilot, Christian? Or mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And what was the motivation? So flew, you entered spent... the military. A, a lot of guys that get in are like, hey, you know, you you found out early on, I assume that you liked it to stay on an additional mm-hmm. six years or what I don't know what the, the time frames are typically, but that sounds like it's a supersized stay. So you liked it, and you're like, hey, I want to push my luck, and I want to go fly these really intense missions and intense planes. Like, what was the motivation there? Well, the motivation, again, the Army was to paper paper school. Uh, My dad passed away when I was younger. I had family members that were offering to pay my way through college, but uh, that didn't sit right with me, so I tried ROTC, loved it. The motivator that was going from motivator there was me going from the regular army to the special operations side there's a little bit of a coolness factor there's the factor of 
I'm going to challenge myself and do something that's fewer than, really fewer than one military aviator a year gets to go do. And then there was a the factor of I had a commander when I was in the conventional side that came from the 160th and told me I would never make it there. And I distinctly remember him telling me on the sidewalk outside of the personnel processing facility at this old base I was at in Germany of me looking him in the eye asking, hey, would you write a recommendation for me? And he said, yeah, sure, I'll write a recommendation, but honestly, I don't think you have the, the personality to make it there. And so that was my, if I'm being brutally honest, that was my ultimate driver. Yeah. And with all due respect, like, I love that. Like, yeah, I, I mean, it's like, like, what a, like, that's, moments like that are so motivating. I mm -hmm. recently posted on, on Twitter about someone who knows me well, that I know well, that texted a close friend when I was going to Kilimanjaro. Uh, basically yeah, said, I remember that. Yeah. He's never going to make it. And I was wow. like, I like, I like screenshot of that thing. You know, it's yep. like not quite the same as getting into the 160th. I get it. But the, no, the, dude, those moments same. of like, of like, no, man, that's, you're, you're not going to do that. It's just, yeah. you know, and it's not like that for everyone I, I get. And, you know, we, we could talk about that another day, but like with, when it lights that fire, it's, yeah, uh, man. What is, so what, what is were... that type of motivation? Like, what's the category for that? I, there's a, there's Chip a, chip on the shoulder uh, you know just yeah. you just want to prove somebody wrong so bad that we'll it motivates you for you multiple years we may have to edit that yeah. out yeah there, there's actually there was, a really scientific a... name for it it's called the go fuck yourself motivator go fuck <laughs> yourself right. yeah there's there's a um famous adam sandler clip where adam sandler he had a professor who the, he was at nyu art school or film school or whatever and the professor took adam sandler out to for for drinks and he thought he was just going to like you know, be buddies with this professor. And the professor was like, this isn't for you. You should find something else to do. And mm -hmm. many years later, he bumped into the same professor, you know, after becoming ultra successful. And the, the legend has it that Adam Sandler, instead of going after this guy or telling him like, look at me now, he introduced him to his friend says, this is the only professor who's ever bought me a beer, which I thought was pretty cool. Cause he, you know, kind of like a very subtle, you know, yeah. Uh, but it's an interesting motivation. So what I did is, uh, by the by the time I got into the one sixtieth, getting in is one thing. Getting to uh, there's a very specific skill level that every aviator tries to to meet. For officers, it's basically it's not impossible, but it's basically impossible. And I became the first officer in the history of the one sixtieth to achieve that skill level. And the very first thing I did after my guys told me that I had passed was I emailed that commander. <laughs> oh, I love that. I hadn't Do spoken to him email? in like four years. No, because it was on it a say? secure. It was very matter of fact. He was back in the organization at a different location. And I just said, I just wrote an email. It was like three o'clock in the morning. I had a couple of course lights and bourbons at that point. And I course just sat on the computer. And while well, everybody else had gone home. And we debriefed and I just sat on the computer and I, you know, it was like two sentences. So I was like, Hey sir, just wanted to give you a heads up that I just did X, Y, Z. Hope you're having a good, hope you're having a good night, Christian. That was it. And what would like, did you, if, if you feel comfortable talking about, did you get a response? What was it like? Like, I, I know sometimes those moments go one of two ways, like right. oh, Christian, you know, go fuck yourself. Or like they almost become like that mentor father figure of like, yeah, I actually always believed in you. I just wanted to challenge. No, you know, it was, like, was I, the... I think I think his response was right on. Nice work or something like that. It was very it's very plain. But so maybe that was trivial of me to do. But in the moment, uh, I was looking back at what I had been able to accomplish and the person who told me that I never would. He, yeah. And I share this a lot is. The skill level that I that I got to, yeah, it had a lot to do with my ability to lead and perform and fly the thing better than everybody else. But ultimately, it's because I had 12 dudes that pushed me there. I had 12 dudes that I led, but they, I mean, they, they bonded around me for a six-month period of time. And dude, they, they pushed me. And they pushed me and pushed me and pushed me and pushed me until I, I got to that spot. And so I know we're going to talk about like, the purpose of a tribe and the purpose of a community as, as we go on today and, and in the future. But 
the only reason I was able to achieve that was because I had dudes that firmly believed in my capabilities. Yeah. So what does it take to get into the 160? So you, you, the guy tells you you're not going to make it, and then you, you go, what, what's the, the process? There is an application process. It's a pretty, pretty in-depth application you send that gets distributed to various officers or the unit, gets kind of a yes or no, you can come try out, and then there is a tryout. And the tryout is a certain amount of days long, and it is a mental test more than anything else. You do a little bit of flying, but it's not about the flying. You do some physical fitness, but it's not about the physical fitness. You do some briefings, but it's not about how it's not about what you're briefing. You plan a mission and you fly it. It's not really about how you plan and you fly it. It is all about resiliency. It's all about uncertainty, and it's all about is this guy going to give up on us? Because we assess quitting. the yeah quitting. So the the unit does a very, like other special operations units, they assess their attributes. They're not looking for a guy that has 4,000 flight hours and 10 deployments. Yeah. They're not looking for a guy that has 500 hours and three deployments. They're looking for people who possess a certain level of tenacity, urgency, and integrity that is unmatched. And so they hone in on how do you assess for that during this period of time. And once you get through that, if you're a go, then it just starts all over again. And then it's a, the next phase is nine to 12 months of very, very intense training. And during that nine months, easiest way to describe it is it is nine months of failure every single day. And every single day you fail. You fail at flying, you fail at briefing, you fail at fl planning, you fail at everything. There's no positive feedback, there's no negative feedback. It is just operating in uncertainty until you get to that very last day. And so you have nine months to funnel down into one five-hour block of time. And during that five-hour block of time, the only thing you can think of is, I have no idea if I'm passing or not. I've, if I fail this, I just bought a house in Nashville. I got to figure out how to sell it because they're going to move you somewhere else. And so just nine months of, can you figure out how to fly this aircraft, but also not quit again. And then you're in. And, 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 and what do you think helped you build the type of resiliency to last through a process like that? I mean, I, I know it's easy to say, like, some people are born with it, some people aren't. I, you know, maybe there's a small piece of that. But I have to believe that this is something that you kind of trained into over a life with different skills and things like that. Like, what do you, what do you think makes the difference between someone who is ultimately going to give up and walk away or to use like the Navy SEAL and you know, analogy, like ring the bell versus those who are going to stick through with that grit and, and get comfortable with, yeah, I'm failing every day, but tomorrow I'm going to fail a little less than I did yesterday right. and just keep at it. Well, Kevin, it sounds like you just described an entrepreneur. That's, that's fair. I described that's a partner in a fledgling remote law firm. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, it's a little different though, right? I mean, with entrepreneurship, I mean, many of us, many entrepreneurs, like you don't have an option but to go on, right? And maybe in the moment right. with the 160th, you felt the same. I've got a house, I got to sell and whatever else. But conceivably, at least from a layman's perspective or a you know civilian's perspective, if you were to fail at the 160th, they, you, they wouldn't throw you out of the military, right? You just go right. probably transition to an easier job. And so that yeah. would be very appealing to me. You know, as an, if, there are some days as an entrepreneur where if I knew I could fail to safety, there's an easier if that way. makes sense, or fail yeah. to comfort, I'd yeah. be more yeah. inclined to, to give up, I think. Yeah. So how do you motivate obsession. yourself in a moment like that? Obsession. Where, you, where does the obsession come from? For me, I think it's different for every person. So sure. I went through the nine months with the same five guys. And we all came from different backgrounds. I had the least amount of flight hours. I had the least amount of experience. I had never deployed they had but in those nine months you're doing everything together the only thing you're not doing together is that last five hour check ride everything else is together and so my obsession came from i do not want to let these guys down because if i fuck something up it looks bad for all of us and that's the interesting part and i won't give away the farm because i just i won't but there's an element as we look for guys and they're going through that pipeline they may not be able to figure out how to punch all the buttons in the systems or really finesse that last, you know, fast rope approach to a courtyard. You know, there may still be work to do, 
But if I'm stuck with that dude in a trailer in the middle of Syria for four months, like, is he the guy that I want to be there with? And that's the determining factor. And so when I think about what got me to that point, it was there's the same group of five guys day in, day out, showing up, we're doing it together, we're failing together. And I just did not want to let them down. And then, of course, the final check ride. Guess what happened? I fucked everything up. This is the, the culmination of nine months. Yeah, I screwed it up. And you, but, fuck, you fucked it but up. Your point, like, yeah. But your point there is what? Like, if if you check all of the other boxes, they want you on the team because they yeah. can teach. They they can. I assume they're looking they at this you. as they can teach you I can skills. I can teach him how to plan a route better. I could teach him how yeah. to fly better. I could teach him how to land better. I can't teach him how to not quit better. Right. And so the so, check right at that point's almost a formality. Yes. And so then it becomes, yet again, you start back at square one. So even after that assessment and those nine months, after those nine months, after that check ride, I was in a parking lot at a truck station off the highway in Kentucky at 2 a.m. eating a spicy chicken sandwich from Wendy's because I'd forgotten to eat in the last two days. So I'm eating this spicy chicken sandwich and fries and my new commander texts me. I'd never heard from the dude, ever. And I'm sitting yeah. there in the parking lot, and he texts me. He's like, hey, so I need you at the office at 8 tomorrow. And it's, what, 2 a.m. I got to drive to Nashville, get a couple hours of sleep, and come back. Starts again, and then guess what happened? I deployed. Same thing. Yep. That disappeared. Got it. So And you turned into a badass. all any, over again. Any particularly memorable missions or anything that you can are allowed to share with us that were kind of experiences that uh, stayed with you i'm certain he's forgotten everywhere he's ever landed okay so here, here's a funny story i've got the prop right next to me just by chance i would say that there's not a lot that i can talk about a lot of stuff makes the news regardless but i came home from one deployment it was right before our wedding so i, I got home about two weeks before our wedding then went on another trip came back basically showed up for the event but we had one night overseas where we were doing some pretty interesting work and i decided to bring home home a souvenir and so Ooh. i brought what brought is this home this is a shell from a this is a shell from the ac-130 and the ac-130 is the big airplane that will just do circles and start hammering away at things and so yeah. we did a lot of work with them that night and they came back and they gave us each one of these and so i brought this home and my wife thought i had gotten her a new flower vase and so <laughs> she, we use this as a vase in our house now funny but i would say that the most the most impactful operation that i was a part of it got blown up in the got blown up in the news it was new year's what three years ago when iran struck a bunch of bases in iraq with missiles yeah and so i was at one of those bases and that night and the events that followed provided for a really interesting opportunity yeah and that was when they ultimately assassinated the commander that made big news right after they had struck those bases yeah, so that's, that, when that's trump, what trump authorized the well strike and... well the assassination happened first they retaliated by hitting us so got we, it that yep after. yep and then we left it alone after that. Well, I mean, at least as far as we we know, they, it felt like they decided right. not to. Yeah. But who yeah. knows what actually yeah. happened? Cyber war, probably at that point. Yeah, that's probably that, that was the most impactful twenty four hours of my life. Wow, exciting! Mine was like, I don't even know. I don't even want to give you an example. <laughs> well, guess why? And here's why: I had such a, I had such I had such a good team over there. Like it was my it was like the A team. It was had a very, very good team. We had many close calls, either from nearly crashing the aircraft, taking off to the missiles themselves. And that one night tested everything I knew about leading men, tested everything I knew about flying aircraft, tested everything I knew about communicating effectively. And the lesson that I draw from that evening is one that I try to impart with a lot of the businesses that I, that I work with. And that's, don't overcomplicate your intent, like with what you're trying to build, but you gotta do it in a way that everybody understands. No one cares yeah. if you're trying to build a hundred million dollar hold co. The eighteen year old kid that you just signed up for the new, you know, 
you know, the Facebook ads position in your HVAC company does not give a shit about your hold code. So how do you create an intent that facilitates that buy-in, facilitates that alignment, and then how do you hold them accountable? We talked about this recently, so, and that's a and, great transition point, <clears throat> I think. So at this point, so you leave the military in 2021, I think, and yes. you transition to civilian life. You're now working in, or at the time you were working in, healthcare consulting mm-hmm. of sorts, kind of implementing traction. Tell us about the transition out of the military and into civilian life and what you were working on. Well, I decided to go get a really easy job, and I decided to go run urgent cares in COVID. And uh, <laughs> you were, and you this, is, the only, this is this is 2021, the so the pandemic's in full swing, right? Yeah, like, this isn't like this isn't like you decided January 2020, and then by March you were like, oh shit! It was like, here's the opportunity. You're going to be the chief of staff and chief operating officer for a small urgent care location that is scaling rapidly because of COVID. And I was like, cool, sounds good. It, and so, so, what was the job? What what did the day to day look like? Everything. I was running the company. Hiring, firing. The CEO was the CEO is a doctor, and so that's why he sought out somebody with my experience because he recognized. And I mean, he's just a wonderful, wonderful man, and I'm extraordinarily grateful for what he did for me that year. And he, but he recognized that he needed someone to come and lead things, and who had experience leading people. And so he sent me EOS Traction a week before we started the book and said, I want you to implement this on day one. And so I read the book and my thought was, well, this is just a really wordy version of everything that I've been doing for the past 10 years. And it has different language. And so reading and that you'd never book, heard, you've never had any exposure no. to it at this point. Yeah. Nope. He just sent me the book. I read it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, so they need accountability so they're not doing meetings, so there's no common goals. They're hiring willy-nilly, but nobody's being, they don't have any method for feedback. And so I just took that language and shifted my mind of how I have, was already approaching leadership of teams and did it in a way that was manageable for an $18 an hour front desk associate. And so and that- so- let, let's pause for one second, just for the folks that are listening that don't know what Traction EOS is. It's a entrepreneurial operating system. It's essentially a well-worn model for how to run a small business. I think it's the, tell us how you would describe it, Christian. It is the fundamentals for aligning a team and facilitating accountability. And it feels like it's a natural, you know, dovetail out of your military experience, at least again, from a civilian layperson. Mm-hmm. Because what you do in the military, I believe, is very structured, very regimented, very planned, very organized. And you, you've got to be able to have the weakest link, be able to do his part, do his job or her job. Um, right. You got it. I mean, the example I often use was that night while we were trying to do an emergency evacuation of this compound so that 300 people wouldn't get killed with a missile shot. Everyone in that room when they briefed what we were about to do, from the general, the colonel, to all the pilots, to the 18-year-old kid whose sole job in life is to put fuel in the aircraft, everyone had a very clear understanding of what we were going to do, why we were going to do it, and how we were going to hold each other accountable to it. And when I walked in that urgent care, there was no understanding whatsoever of what they were trying to accomplish other than reacting to patients showing up. They would just react to patients sh- showing up. Patient would show up, they'd figure out what to do. There was no clear intent of, we're gonna try to go from one to four locations. We are going to develop a plan where everybody, if you're $18 an hour front desk associate, by the end of the year, you may be managing the front desks at one of our locations. So there was no alignment, there was no accountability there was no goal setting. And so that's what I brought from the military to this, but in a framework and a language that was understood by all. So, and maybe this is too big of a question, but try to paint a picture here, if you could, of what like the day looked like in one of these centers 
week one of your job versus, I don't know how long you were there, but let's say a random day, the end of year one, like what does that difference look like in terms of the work culture, how people are experiencing work at this job as a result of these strategies and the system that you're implementing? So what I want to imagine is that you walk into a fair, like a carnival, whatever, yep. state fair. And you know those trucks that have the the fried dough? You know, they serve the fried dough. Were they yeah. serving fried dough at your urgent care? No, I'm kidding. They should have. But yes, I, I don't know. We were really serving pizza. By the, by the end, I was serving pizza dough. <laughs> Love it. If you picture a carnival and there's just thousands of people everywhere just running around yeah. and all of a sudden they need a snack and they're going to this fried dough thing and there's just a mass of people around this yeah. fried dough stand, that's what it looked like. Just people everywhere doing Whatever. Just noise, noise and chaos. Lit like literally, you're yep. not exaggerating. It's yeah, like people are getting the food. They're going on the ride. They're getting the food. They're going on the ride. You know, finding the bathrooms. Whatever. Eric is crying because you know he didn't get the toy he wanted. All those things. <laughs> and then, within six months, it was like walking into a Chick Fil A, where okay. every single person understands every single role and can flex and fill into a role because they understand what the objective of that rule is. So you have, a, you have a manager that's making ice cream. You have a front desk clerk that's outside directing traffic. Everyone has a clear understanding of what a role's objective outcomes are and how they can flex and get it done for the betterment of the team. And what is it about, what is it about a system like EOS specifically that facilitates that versus like, I don't know, it's a, weird question, maybe a silly question, but versus just like, if you're trying to be good at your job, people are just going to go figure this out. Like, wh why is it that otherwise smart, intelligent, capable people who are capable of working and interacting in this way need an EOS traction type system mm. in order to actually operate that way? So there's, and this is just a quick aside. So there's EOS, there's scaling up, there's pinnacle, there's all these different operating systems there's what i do which is like a blend of all of them and what i've done in the past but really what it really comes down to is they don't necessarily need the system they need a leader got it and it's not like you just take eos and slap it on a company or you take scaling up and slap it on a company and say hey we're doing this they need a leader and what that book does really well is it creates a language and a set of principles by which a leader can use and buy in into their yeah. team. Okay, I'm following. So it's less the actual system itself and it's more that it's facilitating- Alignment, accountability. Alignment, accountability, like leadership to be able yep. to Rowing towards implement a, common a goal. system, whether it's traction or not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have EOS I, I, in the 160th, but we had a system. Yeah. And that system yeah. was driven by me and that system, I mean, that system worked. Yeah. Can we have a quick aside about Chick-fil-A? Because I love that you use that example and I know yeah. why you use yeah. that example. So for, for <clears throat> everyone's benefit and actually Kev, for Kevin's as well, Christian <laughs> is my, Christian is my, like my coach, my life coach, executive coach, whatever. We talk once a week, you know, a couple times a week via text and we talk about goals and objectives and business and life and whatever. It's And it's amazing. You know, shout out to you and, um, your Thanks. venture, which well, we'll talk about in just a second. You're doing, um, you're doing the work, so. Yeah, well, it's, uh, yeah, sort of. But we, um, I go to Chick-fil-A almost religiously. Like, it's on my way to the office. It's the healthiest option around. I don't have a ton of time to be cooking, and so I'll grab, like, a grilled chicken sandwich. So very often when I'm on the phone with both of you, I'm rolling through Chick-fil-A. Kevin knows this. I'm many, many of meetings, I'm, like, ordering a grilled chicken sandwich while I'm going through. And the Chick-fil-A people, man, every single time, I almost recorded them this morning because I'm like, this would make great social media content because they do the same shit every single time. They'll take your order and they mm -hmm. and it drives me nuts, guys. And I try to head it off. I try to defeat them every single time. They'll say, what do you want? And I'll say a number seven grilled chicken sandwich. And I'll say with waffle fries, a lemonade, and no sauce, and nothing else. Every time I say that to them. And they can't not do it. They go... Any sauce with that? And I'm like, no sauce. And they're like, anything else? And I'm like, nothing else. Every single time. Every time they can't, they're 
so it's the, the process is so ingrained in them that even mm-hmm. when I head it off, they still ask. And then I pull up, you know, seven feet, and here comes Jeremy with his clipboard running over, going, "Are you Eric? Do you have the number seven? Or do you, do you need any sauce?" Like every every time, and I'm just like, "Man, you guys are. It's almost borderline obnoxious how thorough you guys are, but it's cool, you know." And and then Eric rolls forward seven more feet, and the general manager comes out and presents him with the most frequent customer certificate yeah. and shakes his yeah. hand for, yeah. you know, yeah. keeping everyone employed. Where does thoroughness like that, right? Do they need to be that thorough? I mean, it's a chicken sandwich. Maybe well, they don't. that's the thing, but right? the and thoroughness you've got... creates experience. When you go to an urgent care, dude, you have to be that thorough. Now yeah. you're talking about medicine. I mean, if you're a law firm and you're doing transaction, like, you've got to be that thorough. You're playing with, you know, totally. a lot of, de- you know, lot, lot of zeros to the left of that decimal point. Well, it's, I mean, it's, I don't view it any differently than like aviation where no matter how good you are at flying and how many times you've lifted off, you're religious by that checklist, right? At, at least as I understand aviation. And it's because of that process and the habit making, if you're talking urgent care, if you're talking M&A transaction, it's just too easy for that one day at that one particular time to have that one distraction that causes you to miss something, right? Yep. That results in hopefully not catastrophe or even anything, you know, short of catastrophe, but that isn't the way it's supposed to go. It just, it, it highlights how important it is. And to your point, I mean, chicken sandwiches is low stakes, but from a business perspective, I, I, I can't imagine how much upselling goes on, you know, in, in terms of improving bottom right. line just mm-hmm. by systematizing you do not walk away from that car window without asking if they want anything else because yeah. x percent of time they do and there's margin built in there yep the one time i forgot to use a checklist i wrote about this the other day the one time i forgot to use a checklist was on a no notice contingency mission where we were getting ready to go do a possible high value target possible embassy evacuation so when you're flying an aircraft that shoots things you have to be dialed in yep. and yep. So we're rushing. I hadn't really slept very much because we had just showed up. And uh, I didn't use a checklist when I was mounting the, we have a 30 millimeter cannon on aircraft. That thing cuts through inches of steel. And when I'm mounting and I'm usually using a checklist, well, in my haste and in my sort of delirious state, I didn't use the checklist. And what I ended up doing was instead of measuring from left to right, I measured from right to left. And that may have thrown the the tilt of the cannon off by millimeters. But when you're shooting something that is yep. a couple hundred meters away, you know, two, three millimeters, that means a lot. Yeah. And so we go out, we're flying. I have my co-pilot arm the systems, I'm tipping in on the test fire target. I start shooting. I don't see the rounds hitting. The weapon is shooting, but I don't see the rounds hitting because when I had measured from right to left instead of left to right, now my rounds were skewed out of my sight picture, they were still hitting the ground, but I had no reference point. Yeah. yeah. And so when you talk about tipping in a target and you have friendly operators on the ground right next to that target and your shots are off, like that's a very bad day or a very bad yeah. night. I was freaking out. <laughs> yeah. I was freaking out. And luckily we had the opportunity to go fix it. But I was like, I'm sitting there like flying, haven't slept my rounds are off. We don't know if we're about to get spooled up to go do this thing right now. And I, I have screwed the pooch on setting this aircraft up for success and setting my guys up for success. So checklist, use them. Christian, EOS typically, for I guess for the audience's benefit and tra- using traction specifically, and like you said, there's there's multiple different types, but usually it's a, a system that involves having a vision for the organization, having the right people in the right seats, having a standardized process to try to drive, you know, results within whatever widget you're making, whether it's a service or a good, having a system for meetings that, you know, helps you tackle mm. issues within the business and then having it all kind of come together magically to create traction within your business, which really resonates with me and with us, I think, Kevin, because, you know, the I think the hardest issue in running a business, particularly going from zero to one is ha- when you're you've got customers and you're building and things are up and to the right is finding the time to kind of work on the business versus in the business and, and so this 
helps you create a framework for building traction. At least that's my take. I've never been through the process of, you know, having tried to implement it and seeing it be successful or not successful in pitfalls. So tell us, Christian, what do you think is the most important component of having success when implementing an entrepreneurial operating system like this? Where I see most companies fail or not get it right is, is the meetings. If you can nail a meeting, you know, they call it the level 10, the 90 minute, whatever you want it to be. I have some teams that use something, the approach is, is different, but it all comes down to the same thing. Are you frequently talking about what you're holding yourself accountable to on a weekly basis? And are the right people there? And is there a structure to it? Are you starting the meeting on time? Are you ending the meeting on time? Is there an agenda? And where I see teams really kick ass is when they're sitting in that room together and they're going over their quarterly goals and looking each other in the eye and saying, I didn't make any progress on this goal this week because I'm swamped with this and I need help. And somebody else chimes up like, all right, what I'm do in. you need from me? I'm in, I got time. Yeah. Let me figure, let's figure this out so we can get this on time. Or it's choosing the right things to monitor in your business as far as indicators. And John Seffer put it better than I ever will is that which you measure on your scorecard needs to have a lever that you can pull to enact some sort of change. Those aren't his words exactly, but the visualization of what are the KPIs that you're looking at that you can actually do something about. And then it's having a set time at the end to talk about what are the issues, but doing it in a way where, you know, Eric isn't just bringing some random issue to the table without presenting a possible solution. And so I think yeah. nailing those meetings and sticking to them religiously is, I mean, that's the biggest lever, I think, that you can pull in streamlining your organization, getting everybody aligned, and having a cadence of accountability. What's the best way to go about implementing something like Traction? We're, you know, we're endeavoring to do it within our organization on our own without an implementer. Is that a good mm -hmm. idea? We're, we're making progress. Talk to us about, too, about you mentioned um, key performance indicators that you can control. How do you decide which key, you know, we're a law firm, you ran urgent cares, two dramatically different businesses. How do we decipher what are the best key performance indicators for our business? This is my personal opinion from what I've seen and others may have varying. I think of what are the indicators that are leading? What are the indicators that are giving you information that you can then go and act on. I have a client that they measure their number one indicator and they're almost a hundred million dollar company is calls into the call center. All of their marketing efforts direct a potential lead to call the call center. Even if it's like going to the website, whatever, it's to go to the call center so that they can talk to a human and that human can then broker the, the close in a way. And so they track how many calls are coming in the call center because that informs them how well is their marketing working. And if their call volume is down, then they take a look at, oh, what, what changes in the marketing have we made or do we need to make? And if their call volume is up, they're like, well, you know, what's going on that's really working so well? So I think a, a good way to start is what is the information that's coming in that's going to allow you to make a decision and get ahead of something bad happening? Does that answer your question, Eric? I th it does. I think for us, it's pizza tweets, right, Kevin? I mean, we yeah. definitely kind of live and die by the yeah. sli slices of pizza consumed per week. Yeah, it yeah. does. It, and it's, it, it's, there's an inverse correlation between the worse the pizza is, the more leads we drive. So mm -hmm. make sense of that. Well, here's uh, another so example. To... My, so my father-in-law, he'll look at bookings for his restaurants. You know, one of his locations. Yeah. He can, he can go see how many lunch res reservations are made. That's a leading indicator. Like if he has 200 lunches on the book, then something in his business and his marketing, his advertising, yeah. uh, in his email campaigns to follow up customers, like something about that is working. And so he can foresee, okay, I got 200 lunches at this one location. I got 50 at another. I got to flex staff so that I can keep the same quality of service at one location without compromising the other. So it's information that you can then go act on. What does a, a business that has successfully implemented EOS look like at the end? Is it 
you know, is it is it an enterprise that's automated such that like the key, you know, key personnel and key key man risk has been completely fully mitigated or like what's best case scenario for a small business? Best case scenario is that every single employee from top to bottom has a clear understanding of where the organization is headed and the outcomes from their role and what they're being measured on. There's just it's such it's, an it's, it's such an interesting topic though because you know you walk into to an urgent care as just like a layperson off the street and you assume it's a well-run operation. You know you don't really think too much about the way the doctors and the nurses are interacting, except for when you're sitting there for you know forty-five minutes after they've told you you're yeah. going to be seen, and you're going, "What the <laughs> hell's going on?" You start to get some idea. Yeah. So kudos to the doctor. I find that doctors typically aren't big on taking feedback and, you know, accepting that they don't know what they don't know. So shout out to your, your former boss there for, for having yeah, that. It's good. Dude. Good dude. Very, very, very good dude. All right. So uncommon elite Christians. Well, you're not running an executive coaching and executive team co- coaching program mm-hmm. coupled with yeah. Alternative experiences for—is it primarily for entrepreneurs, or just tell us about Uncommon Elite and what what it, what you do? So what it started off was just some of the U.S. executive team pinnacle style coaching that I was doing, and morphed into individuals reaching out and wanting more of a, a one-on-one approach. And so now it's myself and two other former operators with my background that we work one-on-one with individuals on the executive level, fitness level, personal level, really whatever the, the customer, whatever their, their goals are and the things they want to achieve, we assist with that. And then what that's morphed into is these events. And the events is really what gets me excited because I had a couple clients asking if I would put an event on so they could meet each other. And I was like, that's a great idea. Like, why wouldn't it? Like, and now we get to meet in person. Uh, you get to meet some of the other guys I'm working with because they're all like-minded. And so what it's morphed into and where I'm focusing a lot of my attention this this year is these events. And what these events do, yeah, it's about the physical parts, about the mental parts, about the, you know, bringing in a seal and doing a workshop on breathing or workshop on leadership and communication. Like, that's all that's all pretty and looks good on paper, but what it's really about is those connections that the individuals make at the event. And what we found after our first one was that, you know, I could come with whatever war story or workshop I want. What people are really taking away from this is the time that they have together over dinner, you know, while on the hike, you know, while in the cold water to just like get to know each other and find people of a similar tribe. And, that's why, why do you think that's what gets me excited? Why do you think that's so needed? Not why is community needed, but why do you think it's so hard for people to be out there actively finding their community, their tribe, and making those connections, and and instead creating this demand for like, can you put this event together? Like, what do you think it is holding people back from kind of organically going out and making those connections? I think there's an element of confidence in there. I think there's an element of the way that society has shifted to, you know, social media and devices. I'm not going to hate on that. Like we're having this conversation because I joined Twitter and now like Eric and I Mm -hmm. are becoming very close. Like some of my, like I went and did psychedelics with Chris Berg at a breakthrough event last year. And he's now one of my close confidants. Like I think it is, it's just providing a different opportunity to go and do that where it's facilitated by somebody else. Yeah. And well, I don't it, know. Entrepreneurship, I mean, guys, we're so busy, right? Like as small, but we're so busy. And the baseline adult man, and I, I assume it's the same for women. I am not a woman, so I don't know. Uh, I don't have that perspective. But for men, it's we're incredibly busy. We've got... Most of us have families, kids, and then so then sprinkling in community and friendship in there is incredibly difficult, right? Yeah, and it's, I, yep. uh, my friend Bradford Harden recently ran a poll, and his question was, 
how many hours do you spend with friends in an average week? Mm, not romantic partners, not romantic partners, not colleagues. The answer: sixty-six percent of people, sixty-seven percent of people, said zero or one to two hours. So thirty-two percent, thirty-three percent of people said zero hours a week. A third of people are spending zero hours per week with friends, and and then another third is spending one to two hours per week with friends. 12.6 percent of people reported more than five hours with friends that's that's mine i think that's that's troubling yeah. it's trouble yeah nope. um it and and you posted a while ago about you just went and got nachos with some other guy that you know dad you know this is like a couple months ago and i remember reading that and i was like why am i not doing that I literally yeah. have restaurants down the street from me that my wife's family owns. Why am I not doing that? And yeah. so I started, I started doing it. And so now every month there's a group of eight dads from um, my daughter's school that we go to one of my father-in-law's restaurants and we get burgers and hang out. And guess what the feedback is? That was awesome. Yeah. Every How time. much they oh. needed that. Yeah, yeah Any, exactly. So they I, needed, I like, had that yeah. revelation uh, you know, a few years ago, that most adult parents are are going six months without doing anything. They're going to work, getting the kids, and by the time they're done with the kids, they're going to bed over and over again, day in, day out, even on the weekends. And so you're right. So what I started doing was just inviting buddies throughout the neighborhood and guys that are around to grab a beer or nachos or whatever at the local ale house at like 8 30 PM. You put the kids down. So it's guilt free. Kids are down. Come grab some nachos, spend 30 to 45 minutes an hour or whatever, just hanging out with another adult person. Um, and 0% rejection rate, 0% rejection rate. People are like, yeah. dude, like awesome. It's been <laughs> yeah. forever since I've done yeah. this. Everybody has the same look yeah. in their eye where they're like, think like des the quiet desperation that people talk about. You yeah. see it palatable. Yeah when you're out there in the wild. Yeah. But it's critically so important. It's a, it's a leading needs. indicator of quality of life. And you're not going to be a successful entrepreneur. You're not going to be a successful parent, spouse, whatever. If you are not living a high quality of life, you know, it's just, you'll, you will be susceptible to burnout, susceptible to stress and you're not going to per perform well in that environment. We have a chronic issue with it, I think, in our country. So I, I'm, on that vein, I, I wanted to ask, and I don't want to spend too much time on like the ins and outs of coaching uh, so we can keep talking about community, but I, it, just, it, it begs the question, and I've never, full disclosure, I've never worked one-on-one -on -one with any sort of coach, executive coach, life coach, anything like that. It, it feels or seems like to me a large portion of what you do is like quasi therapy as much as it is anything else, right? Like mm -hmm. I imagine a lot of people, it, it, is that not the case or like how, it's not how the, much yeah. are you getting into like trying to help kind of, that's the wrong word, but like personality or personal habit optimization vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, people's psychology as you are just like, Hey, here's a strategy and system to go implement. So I definitely like I, I stay away from therapy, and if that sort of thing sort of presents itself, I'll just make it very clear that's like that's not what I do. I'm not licensed to do it. Or you, like, you, I have to, no desire to be clear, to do you it, mean so. you stay away from being a therapist yourself? You don't. You're not anti. Oh yeah, yeah, mental health yeah. yeah nope, just to clarify. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I have a that's I have a therapist. Important clarification. Thank yeah, you. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, I have a therapist. I've coached. I got you know full stack everything. I a client comes to me because they have something they want to achieve. They have a version of themselves, either personal, professional, health or fitness that they want to become and they need somebody in their corner to do that. And so that that's where I come in and it's coming up with okay, what is it that we're trying to achieve? Why are we trying to achieve that? Are we in a position right now that that sort of growth or goal like makes sense? Okay, great. What's the plan and how are we doing it? Yeah. And some of that is, some of that I have, I have individuals that this is their first time leading. Like they're growing a company they've never led before. And so they need those actionable insights into how do I manage, lead, and grow a team? 
other individuals, like they may already be leaving a team, but everything else in their personal and health and fitness life has fallen off. And so they want some accountability with that. So it's really driving towards an actionable goal. And that is when I look back at the time I spent in the 160th, as soon as I got to a level where I was capable and good at doing it, I would bring in new pilots and I would train them up to my level. And it was just new pilot, new pilot, coaching, developing. Dudes that were really good at flying, but maybe had no idea how to lead. And now we're going to lead 12 people on an operation in Syria. Very cool. Well, and I think for me, working with Christian or just a coach generally uh, has been incredibly helpful because the accountability piece. Having the community means resources, but it also means accountability. And it's the perfect Mm -hmm. medium, right? Because I don't want to go out there and I don't want to tweet like, hey, here's my Q1 goals. Here's my, you know, my yearly goals, my quarterly goals. And then this is what I'm going to do in the next 30 days to like make it happen. A lot of them are personal, you know, they're romantic, they're parenting goals their personal finance goals with specific concrete targets like i can't put that out there publicly but i can put it out there to an individual and in this case with christian like somebody who can clearly kick my ass you know like somebody who's just like a physically superior man you know is is one element of it that i know that (laughs) this this took an interesting turn carry on eric no that i know that like talk more about you know what i'm saying like if if i told tell tell christian more (laughs) keep going please if I was sharing this with somebody that I was not oh, impressed man. with, right, or somebody that I was not that I wouldn't trade places with, it wouldn't do a whole lot for me. That's you know, I'd go. Yeah. I have no issue with letting down somebody who I I don't respect, right? But mm. when you've got somebody that you respect tremendously and you're sharing your objectives with them, it's really difficult. You know, we we did, um, you know, our, we were going to do Q1 goals recently. And he kind of caught me off guard with a busy week. You know, I'm not thinking about goals. I'm not thinking about objectives. I'm thinking about getting through the day, right? And Christian's like, what are your Q1 goals that are going to make this year goal happen? And I threw some crap out there. You know, I was like, here's a the very traction EOS question. It, yeah. And, and it applies, I actually it applies, stopped. Right? I was yeah. embarrassed with the product that I'd even served up to him for that first quarter for that first month so i went back to the drawing board i spent some time over the weekend like really being thoughtful and thinking it through just to bring it back to him because i you know you've got somebody now that is putting themselves out there for you right like this person is here to help you and you're not even doing the work to allow them to do that if you've got integrity and character and you want to get better and you are a person who can move forward it's going to create an environment for you to push a little bit harder i think Mm -hmm. trying to set goals there are plenty of people that have that internal locus of motivation they go set goals in the dark by themselves not tell anybody and hit them if they have the right motivation but i think that there are certain points in all right yeah those people are the worst drive me nuts but there's a point in all of our lives where you're somewhere in the no man's land you're out there in your 30s you're trying to do something to keep things moving forward and that's can become difficult to keep yourself motivated. But Nick Saban has a quote that uh, he says all the time that we are our human nature is to do the bare minimum, to do just enough mm-hmm. to get by. That's what we're yeah. going to do if we don't create goals and then we don't have the discipline to hit those goals. And so I think having that community or that coach there to help you move the bar off of the bare minimum and then actually follow through with it is something that everybody should have. I'm a big believer. I recently posted about how my wife and I started this tradition four years ago of going away for a night or two at the end of every year just to plan the new year, get on the same page calendar, talk about goals and whatever. And I was was a bit surprised at some of the comments and pushback. Really? What were they? How, oh, like, I mean, you know, a lot of the anonymous horse shit of like i'd right. rather kill myself than like do this or whatever but a lot of like don't turn your relationship into like a business and like this is the cr- this is super cringy from like actual people and i'm like man this feels so weird to like want to go be intentional want to go be intentional with someone you're spending your entire life with and like this pushback of like of like no you do that shit alone in your office like or just like how about you just sit down and talk to your wife over dinner? Like, 
okay like yes i talked to my wife over dinner too but i was a bit su- i was a bit surprised at the pushback on you know trying to like be more intentional about some of these things anyway a- anecdotal well, but i mean that's too bad because you're on this like the way and i'm you know actively working at being better at this like it's we're on the same team yeah. my wife and i are on the yeah. same team right? She understands my professional goals. I understand hers. We have shared financial goals. We have goals for our daughter. We have goals for things that we want to do together. And I guess if you're not talking about them and you're not holding each other accountable to it, like, are you really on the same team? Yeah, no, for sure. And so expand that out and let's end there as we come up against the hour. It's one thing in a relationship. It's one thing in your business itself. But let's talk about the power of community more generally. And we sort of flirted around this when we were talking about like the the, the events and, and the importance of like getting out there with like-minded people and things like yeah. that. You know, how, how important from your perspective is having some sort of broader community like that, that you can spend that time with, that you can be open with about not just your wins, but your struggles, get advice from and things like that. Like talk us through how important that's been in your career and and how you advise entrepreneurs and thinking about building community beyond just your business itself or or maybe your very close personal family circle. Yeah. Yeah, Like I just said, I attribute all of my success to it. And that's the that's the the most simple way I can put it is I attribute all of my su- success to the the power of having a community around me, all of it. In the military, the first real coaching client that I went out and got is because I had somebody in the coaching community like push me and coach yeah. me and help me get to that point where I understood that I have value I can deliver. I just don't I don't know how to speak it do it and everything that i've gotten to now in my post-military professional life has been because of community and maybe a little less personally directed to you as well as you've started to be involved in helping and watching these communities grow how have you seen this with other people just like anecdotally is there anything you can share of like oh you know when we got this community together i saw this person struggling with that and this is how the group rallied. I'm kind of curious how you've seen the the power and impact of this. Like I, I get it directly for yeah. you, but like also just broader. Like how have you seen this impact people you work with? Well, what I'll first say is like there's gotta be a leader. There's gotta be somebody leading leading the yeah. community, right? Like there there just has to be. Or you'll yeah, or it'll never you'll never meet. Yeah. Right. So yeah. somebody's gotta lead it. But when somebody comes into it or somebody vent, you know, ventures into it or is, or is called into it, like, dude, that's just the, it's free feedback. It's yeah. free feedback, free inspiration. It's free resources. It is other people's mistakes. Every mistake I made as a pilot was a mistake that I uncovered myself because I watched somebody else screw it up first and then them provide the feedback to our team. And so I didn't have to do it again. And that's what Twitter's yeah. great about is you can just, I could, put a post a question on Twitter right now and get depending on the question a variety of responses that would inform a decision that I otherwise wouldn't know how to make so oh it's the most I think it's the most powerful tool in business I do I think that that and that community is the most powerful tool in business so we're we're very fortunate to have access to you know Mm -hmm. social media people who are invested and I tell everybody I'm like man I could find a polar bear expert in the Sahara with how powerful this is and why I used to I was in, right. you know, yeah. before this, I was in, you know, one of the most elite global law firms in the world. And you'd put out an RFI, a request for information in, ter- in the firm and be like, hey, does anybody know somebody who works at Acme Corporation? I'm going to make a pitch. Or does anybody know a trusted estates lawyer in South Carolina? You know, and you're putting that out in mm-hmm. the most elite law firm in the world to 1,500 people, right? You put that same request out on social media and it's going out to potentially hundreds of thousands of people that are going to put eyeballs on that. And you're going to find, I mean, it's truly incredible. And I think we've, we've seen some really amazing cases of it, Kevin, on the pod too, of talking to the Nick Hubers, you know, talking about how powerful his community and how powerful that platform has been in building a whole wide variety of businesses. And then even, you know, guys like Chris Munn, who are now running 
you know, organizations d- designed around building yeah, community. And John Cipher, I mean, who you mentioned. Yep. Yep. I mean, what I think what Chris is doing is really cool because guess what? I have a group of other coaches that I turn to and we have our own yeah. little like coaching community because guess what? It's just as lonely. And so yeah. I've got a tight little group of guys that we just bounce stuff off. You know, we're in different markets and different platforms, whatever. But I have someone I can go to and be like, dude, how did you do this? Or what did you yeah. do to, to get to this point? So, yeah, it's a under underrated resource. Yeah, no, I love that. Was it Greg Eisenberg? You shared something with me recently, Christian. And there's a little lag here, so sorry if I'm talking over you guys. But um, Greg Eisenberg had shared this tweet about yeah. how he, he believes that the community-based business you know, cohorts of people will be one of the biggest business trends to come and that he could even imagine a number of these businesses going public. So it'll be fascinating because we're seeing it, right? Like the modern country club is no longer a particular among young people, golf and, you know, golf as an example is really struggling, but you know, the desire to have that community, but not have it be tethered to something physical is uh, I think going to be one of the most powerful business trends to come. Well, I was going to say, speaking of community and just looking at the time, Christian, super appreciative of you spending some time with us, being being open Thanks and talking openly. Tell people where they can find you. How can, how can they interact with I, you, I mean, learn more, feel free to plug what you're working on? Yeah. I mean, I'm just, you know, the thing I, th- the thing I would look out for is just the various events I'm going to do this year, but my, my Twitter handle is the, the best place to find me. Awesome. And we will mm-hmm. drop that in the show notes. And Thank you. with that, once again, Thanks for the time. Really great discussion. I think people are going to learn a lot from your experience and your your advice and, and just kind of thoughtful approach to how to tackle leadership. So thanks again. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mundane Millionaires. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, make sure to follow Mundane Millionaires wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. See you next time.